0: bible books in 30 minutes through the bible book by book with author pastor and bible teacher mike beaumont who's talking to david tabner
1: in our last few conversations we've been focused on the so-called major prophets i think we move to the minor prophets now mike and
0: start with hosea why just remind us were they referred to as minor prophets It's more in Christian tradition that they're referred to as minor prophets. And we said when we started this bookshelf in our library, looking at the prophets, that they're minor in the sense of really smaller. Previous four prophets, we've looked at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, much longer works. And the next 12 are much shorter. And so they simply took on that title minor prophets. So these really are sort of human shelves that we've given Mm. to to the books
1: so we have this book of hosea the first of the so-called minor prophets and you better explain Who, who was hosea where was he living what was going on
0: yeah as we said when we started this bookshelf of the prophets placing the prophets in context is always the key thing to understanding them so hosea himself tells us He lived at a time and prophesied at the time of four kings of Judah, verse 1 tells us. But he actually wasn't in Judah that he lived or prophesied. It was, he goes on to say, during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, the king of Israel. Up north. Up north. You've got it. That northern kingdom that had broken away from the true descendants of King David after the death of King Solomon. And King Jeroboam, Jeroboam second, was, from a human point of view, incredibly successful. His kingdom of Israel was strong, secure. It was wealthy. It was prosperous. The upper classes were doing very well. The middle classes were becoming very prosperous at this time. So it, it was a time of, of sort of great prosperity for the nation. But as we've noted previously, along with that growing prosperity, there also came a growing lack of concern for what God's word said, both in terms of the vertical, how they should relate to God, and the horizontal, how they should relate to one another. So it comes at a time when Israel is being faithless, both to God and to one another. So faithlessness is the key background for this book.
1: And Hosea himself,
0: you know, how does he come onto the scene, as it were? We don't know much about him, actually. He just appears. It just says the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri. So whoever Beri was and wherever he lived, we have no idea. But what we do know, he was in the north, born in the north, lived in the north, addressing his word to the north. Uh, So really very much one of them grown up among this sort of background that I've just outlined and therefore in a a very good position to both see and understand exactly what was going on and to be able to address them with with some authority because he knew it was there. There was no conning him of what had been going on. And what he has to say to his fellow Northerners then isn't just his opinion – Not at all. As so often with these prophets, we get that introductory phrase, the word of the Lord came. So the message that he will bring and his message will be both through his life as well as through his words is very much God's challenge to his people. And and it's a mixture of it. It's a challenge, but it's a heartache from God. It's a challenge to them to think how on earth Can you have come to this point? How can you live like this? How can you live where religion is superficial and meaningless? And as long as you offer your sacrifices, you then think you can go and live how you like. How can you treat one another in the way that you're doing? How can you be so faithless to me? And yet with that accusation, there is a heartache that comes out from the very heart of God through Hosea because he feels pain. This is his own dear people whom he'd rescued from Egypt, whom he'd given the gifts of his law and the tabernacle and the temple and and his priests and his prophets. And it was this people who were, frankly, spitting in his face and despising him. So there is clear challenge in this book. But there's also clear pain and anguish in the heart of God that comes out through Hosea's prophecies.
1: And you said that the message doesn't just come through what he spoke, but through his life.
0: Yeah, and a very painful way as well, which we're introduced to right at the start of the book. In chapter one, God says to him that he's to go and take An adulterous wife. Oh, my goodness. God says you're going to marry a woman who has got a history of being unfaithful and who will be unfaithful to you. Because I want you to live out in your life what it is that I am feeling. And just as your wife, whom you're going to marry, will be unfaithful to you. That's what my people have done to me. It's as though they were a spouse who had abandoned the other spouse and gone off with others. And I want them to see both the pain that that brings me, but also the judgment that that will bring. Because he he does go and he marries uh, this woman called Goma. And she has uh, three children him, and God says to him to give them specific names that will reflect what is going on at this time. They're really tough names as well. The first one is a son whom he's to call Jezreel, which means God scatters. Why? Because God is about to scatter his people. This is just before the time that Assyria, the growing mighty empire to the east, is heading their direction and will, before too long, come and conquer the nation. Hosea's prophesying between sort of 760 to 722 BC, and it's in 722, 721 BC, that Assyria will conquer the north and literally do this, scatter the Israelites across its empire, never to come again. His second child is a daughter to be called Lo-Ruhamah, meaning not loved. Goodness me. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's incredible, isn't it? Why? Because God's people aren't loved anymore. There is precious people, but they aren't loved because of the way that they're behaving. And a third, a son, uh, lo-ami, meaning not my people. Why? Because, you know, they might call themselves, but we are Israel. We are the people of the Lord, but they were not living like that. And so here's these three kids, bless them, you know, with these tough names. I mean, you know, imagine giving your kids names like that.
1: And then every day when the name
0: is mentioned, it's a reminder. Yeah, exactly. And a painful reminder. Painful, I'm sure, for Hosea. But the whole point is, do you not see that this is painful for God? The way you are living causes God deep, deep pain. So these kids were there as a A sort of living, prophetic word of how God felt towards his people, Israel, and of how punishment was coming their way because they would not repent and turn back to him and live that out in their lives.
1: I'm still trying to just grapple with the idea that God told Hosea to marry essentially a prostitute. That kind of implies God doesn't care very much about marriage.
0: Yeah, I think it probably does the very opposite. I think it shows how much God cares about marriage. Remember, first of all, this is a prophetic word to one person at one point in history. This is not a general word of God like love your neighbour as yourself, applicable to all people in all times. It's one word to one person for one specific reason. And in doing this, what he's doing is communicating through marriage, which he sees as so precious. You know, this is not just, oh, yeah, you know, she's gone off and she's sleeping around a bit, but she'll come back. That's fine. This is not a sort of laissez-faire attitude that pervades our culture today. It is because marriage was so precious to God that he uses this prophetic, acted-out image as a way of, communicating to his people the deep offence, the deep shame, the deep hurt that their abandoning of him, actually, he'll even use the words their prostituting of themselves, has caused pain in
1: God's own heart. So this is clearly going to be very painful for Hosea himself.
0: Very, very painful. And, uh, you know, anyone who's listening to this who's who's had a partner walk out on them and be unfaithful will know the deep sense of rejection hurt shame all sorts of things that go through the mind as a pastor I've had to help people through that over many years and the hurt is deep and profound and I'm sure this is something that Hosea carried himself you know this wasn't just oh yeah I only married her because God told me to. Well, he had married, but you know there was a relationship between them that had been broken. And yet, uh, what a guy this is! Because although she goes off and sleeps around with other guys and is unfaithful, and he's able to use this as a prophetic message, saying the Lord says, "This is what you're doing." Remember, these were small communities in those days. Mm. Uh, You know, everybody knew everybody else and everybody else's business. And I'm sure behind the doors, he was a bit of a laughing stock. Have you seen what Gomer's doing again? Poor old Hosea, you know. So it must have been painful. But here's an opportunity to say, yeah, it, it is painful. But here is what your God is like. Although this is what you have been and done to him. He's still ready to take you back because in chapter three, Of Hosea, God says to Hosea, Go and take your wife and love her again, even though she's been loved by another, even though she's an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. So go and forgive her, go and take her back, bring her home. And it's interesting because it says, So I went and bought her for 15 shekels of silver. Now, interesting, bought her. That means she had fallen on hard times and had sold herself into slavery. Remember, slavery in the Old Testament was not the sort of slavery that we are familiar with in the Western world that was such an offence and an abuse of the human race. It was a way of selling yourself for a limited period of time, seven years maximum, as a way of getting yourself out of debt. Then you had to be Granted your freedom. The law was very clear about that. So she's fallen on bad times. You know, she's gone to one man who's dumped her, gone to another who's dumped her, and eventually she's just used goods and nobody wants her. So she's had to sell herself into slavery. So Hosea has to go and buy his own wife back from slavery. Here's the second interesting thing he buys her back for 15 shekels of silver, the price for a slave was 30 shekels of silver, 30 pieces of silver. Of course, the same price that Judas got for betraying Jesus, just the price of a slave. So not only has she become a slave, she's become a pretty worthless slave, that worthless that she's being sold half price. And yet, he's going to take her back to himself as his wife again. And here is the prophetic picture. God saying, you have drifted so far from me. You have sold yourselves to everything and everyone but me. You've reduced yourself to that of a mere, worthless, half-priced slave. And yet, just as Hosea took Goma back. That's what I want to do with you, Israel. Come on, wake up, turn back to me. It's a picture of what the Bible calls reconciliation, the bringing together of two alienated parties. We find this doctrine again and again throughout the scriptures. It's a picture that's used in the New Testament of what God did for us through Jesus. He was our reconciliation, the means of us and God being brought together through paying the price of our sins at the cross. And here is a picture of how far God is prepared to go to reconcile his people to them because they love him. And yet, the rest of Hosea is just full of how the people continue in their sinful ways and of accusations and charges brought against them, and they just will not come back. They stick in their stubborn ways. They prefer to live as half price slaves rather than come back to the God who loves them.
1: Because I'm just reflecting on Hosea's willingness to go and buy his wife back in the natural she'd committed the unforgivable.
0: Huh, yeah. Again, I, I, it's so important when we're reading the word of God, we remember these are real people. These are not stereotypes. They're not plaster cast saints. They are real people who went through real emotions. We saw in the previous episode when we were looking at Jeremiah, the pain and and anguish he felt when Jerusalem was destroyed. And to put yourself in Hosea's shoes and and to feel the pain of being walked out on and the shame, I think that's a big thing. Often when people are abandoned by a partner, It's not just pain, it's shame. What is it that I did that was wrong? What what wasn't good enough for you? And the shame that people walk with. And that's what Hosea must have carried himself. And all the while saying, but this is how God feels towards you, his people.
1: And so God is saying, you know, Israel is faithless, but I'm not.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, In fact, that sort of leads us really nicely into chapter four, because from chapter four onwards, Hosea starts to rehearse some of the charges of faithlessness against his people. Just let me read these few words here. Uh, Chapter four opens with this. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. So he's imagining himself in a law court. And the uh, prosecution barrister standing up and bringing the charge against the accused. Here it is. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement to God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. My goodness, you can see what depths this prosperous society. Remember this society that was doing very well for itself. Thank you. And yet accused of cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. He goes on to talk about how his people engage in prostitution. And that literally was the case because some of the gods and idols they were turning to, the Baals that they were turning to, worship at a Baal sanctuary involved going with a temple or a shrine prostitute, male or female, you actually had sexual intercourse there as part of your worship because Baal worship was a fertility religion. So there really is literally prostitution going on, but God's saying through Hosea, but can you not see the higher prostitution? If you are prostituting yourself, you've deserted me to give yourself to prostitution, there was idolatry. They consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood, he says. I love that picture, don't you? Mm. The idol that's made of wood and carved beautifully and decorated. They consult an idol, it's only a stick of wood, mm. Hosea says. And ends up saying a, a people without understanding will come to ruin. So here's his accusation, followed then in in chapter 5 by words of judgment coming upon Israel. And and he says the the judgment that is coming upon you is going to come in the shape of Assyria. The very nation they were hoping might help them against other enemies will be the very nation who in just a few years time will come and conquer them and destroy them and scatter their peoples across the known world. And you said that despite
1: the... Living example that Hosea and Gomer were, in
0: a sense, the people still didn't get the message. Yeah, they they still didn't get the message. Well, do you know what? It's like they did, but they didn't, because in chapter six we we find them apparently repenting. So chapter six opens with the words, "Come, let us return to the Lord." So he's quoting them here. Uh, he's torn us to pieces, but he'll heal us. He's injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he'll revive us. On the third day, he'll restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. And it sounds, doesn't it, like, oh, they are coming back to God after all. But God sees straight through it. And he goes on to say through Hosea, What can I do with you? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you to pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. My judgments flashed like lightning upon you. And here's perhaps one of the best known verses in the book. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, God's saying, I don't want all your religious rituals. I don't want you going to the sanctuaries and the temples and offering loads of sacrifices to me and thinking that's enough. What I want is your heart. I want mercy in your dealing with one another, not sacrifices. And you know what? That's still a challenge for us today. God wants mercy, not sacrifice. Let's bring that up to date. I'm not bothered how much you read your Bible. I'm not bothered how often you go to church or your small group. I'm not bothered how many times you tune into UCB. What I want to know is through all of that, do I have your heart? Heart relationship is what God wanted then and what God still wants with us today. And if he doesn't have our heart, how much does that pain him? Well, I think this whole book just cries out with that. This pain that Hosea goes through is the pain that God himself experiences. And, you know, as, as this book goes on, really, we find, we find little hope. There's this image in chapter eight of, of saying, you know, you've sown the wind, now reap the whirlwind. <laughs> Quite graphic image there, isn't it? You're going to reap what you've sowed. You've sowed to these other gods. You've trusted in them. Well, let's see now where that takes you. And so because of that, and because you've refused to hear my repeated calls to you through the prophets, not just through Hosea, but through all the other prophets, judgment is, is surely coming. And yet, you know, interspersed with these, judgments that are coming uh, in chapters 9 and 10, we get a reminder then in 11 of of God's love for Israel. And it's like God constantly is reminding them uh, of his love. Uh, Chapter 11 opens with the words, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. He's saying, oh, do you not remember what I did for you? Think back in your history to when you were slaves under the Pharaohs and you cried out to me and I raised up Moses for you. Think of the miracles. Think of the plagues that came on Egypt. Think of the parting of the Red Sea and the the crossing over and the going to Sinai. and my giving you my gifts and my law? They're out of Egypt. I called my son. But he says, the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. And they burnt incense to images. Hear the pain of God. And as as we're reading these chapters, I'd encourage readers to to feel into, to lean into the pain that God feels here. Not just to hurry through these and read, oh, there's another verse, but to feel the pain that God is feeling. And from that, to understand this is still the pain that God feels in his heart when his children still wander from him today and somewhat remarkably
1: Hosea didn't give up on Gomer
0: that's pretty amazing isn't it because i don't know i i sort of whenever i read this story i think could i have done that you know, and i think that's the sort of question all of us have to ask and you, and you hope oh yeah you know i be so full of the love of the lord i'd definitely do it but would you maybe you would but you know would she be back on trial? Would you be watching for the next slip, Or would there be a wholehearted welcoming and embracing that Hosea modeled? And, you know, I almost said there had to model, but then I stopped myself because if I'd said had to model, it would sound like he was doing something that he really didn't want to. And I'm sure he didn't want to marry a woman who was going to be faithless, but. He worked through this. He processed it. He made it his own. He understood that this was not just one of those things in life. He understood that this was something God was doing. And, you know, there are times when either God speaks to us or God takes us into situations that aren't easy and we have to process them. We have to work them through with God. We have to keep going back to God and saying, What did you say again? Are you sure? And I think all of us have those times. And going back to his word, what did God say? That's what I do. Whenever I face a tough time, whenever things aren't going as I had hoped they would do, as I thought God had said they would go, I constantly go back to, but what did God say to me and to a scripture he might have given me or a prophetic word he might have given me? What did God say? And I go back to that and I sort of work it in again a bit like, you know, when my wife's making some of her fantastic cake, she works the flour in and all the ingredients in until it's thoroughly in there. And I work God's promises in. And I think that's what Hosea had to do. He he worked at it. He, he went back to what God had said at the beginning. He went back to what he knew of God. He went back to what he knew of God's heart for his people. And he kept working it in until he could live with this and work it out, not as that, well, you know, didn't really want to marry her or certainly didn't want to remarry her, but God said, until he could do this with a glad and willing heart, even as God's own heart was glad and willing towards his people. So I suppose the question's got to be, how does the story end? Well, the story ends with Hosea promising that if they repent, It will lead to blessing. Now, we know historically they didn't. Probably within a year or two of these messages, Assyria has come and conquered them. And yet, (laughs) I always love those and yets in the Bible story. And yet, chapter 14 is full of hope that when they repent, God will bring blessing. There's a promise. Return, O Israel. To the Lord your God, your sins have been your doubtful, but say to him, forgive our sins, receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria can't save us. We won't mount war horses. We'll never say again our gods to what our hands have made for in you the fatherless find compassion. And then there's a powerful promise. When you get to that point, God says, Verse 4 of chapter 14, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. And he promises there will be a time when his people will return and they will again be fruitful for him. So it ends on a note of hope. But sadly, we know from history, a note of hope that this people didn't embrace for themselves, and it would be left to others to pick up the promise.
1: In conclusion, how do you feel the book of Hosea looks
0: ahead to Jesus's coming? It's a great picture of what God did for us in Jesus. He loved us. We walked away from him. We drifted away from him. And yet he took the initiative to reach out and be reconciled to us. We went off and, as it were, married ourselves to other things, other people, other isms, whatever it might have been. And yet God never gave up on us, just like Hosea didn't give up on us. And the wonderful message we get in the New Testament is that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us while we were still worthless slaves to pick up the picture of Gomer. He sent his son to reach out for us. And one of the parables of Jesus I love in the New Testament is the parable of the waiting father, the prodigal son it's sometimes called, where the father there is waiting for the son who was stupid and went off. And yet there he is waiting for his son to return. And that is the God of the Bible, that no matter how stupid we've been, how bad we've been, what bad things have been done to us, whatever mess we have got ourselves into, no matter how worthless a half-priced slave we might have become, God our Father is a God of reconciliation who always, always, always is ready to reach out with open arms to welcome us back as his son, his daughter, And to bring us back into his family and make us a fruitful part of his purposes once again. Mike Bowman has been talking to David Taverner. Listen to more episodes anytime. Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation. This is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.